in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 21 through chapter 5 and verse 1. What we've been doing every week is going through the book of Galatians, trying to put together what is the gospel. It's good news that God loves us more than we can imagine because Jesus lived the perfect life. We could never have lived. And God treats us as if we did that, if we come to him by faith. Despite being much more sinful than we would ever care to admit. <laughs> and that's what Galatians is teaching. It's not only the way you enter into the Christian life, it's the way you live the Christian life. And actually, the way you make progress is by seeing the cross as bigger, seeing God as more holy, and yourself less so. And that's, that's how God changes us. And so we are in the middle, really towards the end of the, Paul's explaining what the gospel is and why it matters, and then he's going to go on the last two chapters to tell us how to live in light of God's truth, in light of the gospel. All right, so let's read the passage, and then we'll, we'll get started. It's Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 5-1. This is God's word. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written, that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also is it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And this is God's word. It is absolutely true, and he gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gift of the gospel that sets us free. And we thank you for your motherly love uh, that, that pursues us, that turns our shame into honor. And I pray that this morning uh, you would do that as we hear you counsel us with your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, how many of you, when you thought of counseling, or when you think of counseling, thought, I need to go to the story of Sarah and Hagar uh, for help? <laughs> I mean, I certainly didn't. So I went to seminary for this thing. I wasn't, uh, <laughs> wasn't taught that way. You know, it, 
But that's basically what Paul's doing here. For those who have addictions, they can't defeat. Uh, those who feel deeply ashamed for whatever reason, who, who feel that there's something wrong with me. That, that is the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I've done wrong. Guilt is I am wrong. There's something wrong with me. Or shame is that. I said that wrong. But Paul, Paul uses this story of two mothers to get us to see that we are free in Christ. That, that's what it's about. I mean, you got the beginning and the end. Do you listen to the law? It's for freedom Christ has set us free. Now let me tell you a story and how you get there. It's an illustration. And really, this is what we've been talking about every week. Christianity is a, is a religion of liberation, despite what the world will tell you. It's, it's actually freeing to come to church. It's freeing to follow Jesus. This is how life is meant to, to be lived. Um, following a God who loves you, despite who you are. <laughs> Being for, forever free from guilt and shame and sin and death. We're just getting a taste of what things will be like. And so to get to this point, how in the world is Paul using Sarah and Hagar to counsel the Galatians? We have to, we have to understand more of the story of Sarah and Hagar to see how they set us free. What is this tale of two mothers? And I mean, I'll confess before we look at it, I didn't plan to talk about mothers on Mother's Day. It's just how it worked out. So I'm not aiming at you on purpose. It's just the way it happened. <laughs> All right, so let's look at Genesis 16, if you would turn in your Bibles there. So I know Paul, when he teaches, he just assumes that we know the Bible better than we do. He assumes that we know the Old Testament very well, and that if we don't know it, that we're being taught it. And so that's what we're going to do. Now, before hearing the tale, you've got to remember the context. Genesis 16 immediately follows... God's amazing promise in Genesis 15, where he says, I swear upon my life that I will give you Abraham children. And there's this whole conversation, and we've talked at it several times in this uh, series, but there's a conversation where Abraham looks at God and says, how do I know this is true? And God says, look at the stars. That's how many kids you are going to have. Try and count them. And then he makes this promise that says, that will happen, and if I, it does not happen, I will, well, may the infinite God become finite, may the immortal God become mortal. He says, I will, they walk through these two piece, the pieces of these animals, and it was their visual aid way of saying, if I don't keep my promise, may I die. And God walked through that alone. And so this is the background of Genesis 16. It's God said, I will give you children, Abraham, your wife will get pregnant, she will have a child. You just don't know how yet. And so for that to happen, all Abraham and Sarah had to do was just wait. And figuratively, right? They had to wait for God to fulfill his promise. <laughs> but when you get to Genesis 16, you realize this has gone on for a long time. There's time that's passed between Genesis 15 and 16. They're getting impatient. I mean, it, you realize this has to be a big deal when Sarah turns to Abraham and says, I want you to take my maidservant and treat her as your wife and have a child with her. That's Hagar. 
That's what Sarah does. She comes to Abraham and says, look, I can't have any children. I'm past childbearing age. This isn't going to happen. So here's my servant. Get her pregnant so that we can have children through her. Because legally, that was the way they could do it then. I know it sounds horrible to our modern ears, but legally, they could do it. It was the tradition that if the master had a child through the slave, then the child was then raised by the master's family. He was in. The child would have been an heir because of who his father was. So before we go any further, I think we should probably stop and talk about this because of our culture of where people will look at the Old Testament and say, well, that's just awful. Why do I want to follow a book that says things like that? And it, it does help to know that the Bible is very clear that polygamy is not right. Genesis 1 and 2, marriage is between one man and one woman. Uh, sexual relations should be in the context of marriage alone. You get that much more explicitly later in the, in the, in the scriptures. But the way this story is told is what I want you to see. It's they want you to see that polygamy is bad based on, on all the effects that it causes the destruction that this decision that Sarah and Abraham make. It ruins their relationship. It blows up a family. This wasn't the Brady Bunch coming together and living together happily. I mean, this was miserable. They, they were bitter. They were fighting. They were persecuting one another, we read. You get to verse 5. Sarah rips into bitterness after Hagar gets pregnant as if it's his fault. And Hagar is looking all proud and self-righteous on looking down on the one who couldn't get pregnant. Abraham was just passive through this whole thing. So yeah, it was legal under the law. But it was a bad idea. And that's what the author of Genesis wants us to see. It's just not explicitly telling you that. It's showing you through story. And so you've got to say this. Abraham, the father of our faith, the one whom we're called to imitate by believing as he believed because it was counted to him as righteousness, exploited both his wife and his slave and his maidservant. But that's how Ishmael, the son born according to the flesh, was born out of this whole mess. Abraham's son, he was born according to the flesh. That's what my translation says. I don't know what yours says. It's just saying... It was their plan from the beginning. It was all through human resources. Then you have Isaac, this other son. The son born according to the promise. And this isn't in Genesis 16. You can read through this in Genesis 18. And he's actually born in Genesis 21. But later in Genesis, God promises to Abraham and to Sarah that they're going to have a son at the point where Sarah is 90. Abraham is 100. And that sounds as ridiculous to them as it does to us. Right? Sarah says, what, am I, after I'm old and worn out, will I th again have pleasure? <laughs> She's pretty blunt. <laughs> she said, there's no way. I'm 90 years old. How can I have a child? I mean, I, looked, I Googled it trying to figure out what was the oldest woman to have natural childbirth. And it's 50s, 60s. There was a lady who was 74 who had it through science, through, uh, through uh, IV, IVF, which would be, well, I can't even say it right now. My tongue's tied. 
true science. <laughs> this is the point, that the only way Abraham is going to have son is if God would supernaturally blow everyone's minds and Sarah would get pregnant at 90 to be a mother. It was going to be God's work alone. It was going to be a gift, something they can receive. And this is the story. This is what Paul is using to, to tell the Galatians, why do you want to go back under the law? Because there's two sons, there's two mothers. You've got Ishmael, the son uh, that was man's idea, and Isaac, the son who was God's idea, and two mothers, Sarah and Hagar. And you get a look at this. This is important to hear how it's put. Ishmael is the child who is conceived through human ability and strength. It was all, all ground on planet Earth. It was man's idea. It was their work, trying to get God's blessing through their plan. Then you have the other child, Isaac, who's conceived through God's power. It was a gift received by grace alone. Definitely by grace after seeing what Abraham just did. By God's grace and power. Right? Two sons, two mothers. This is how the counseling conversation starts in Paul's office. <laughs> right. Now, before we apply this, we got to ask, how do you read this? Because this will help us apply it. This is the story that Paul's using, but when, he, when Paul says in verse 24, this story must be interpreted, or may be interpreted, I should say, allegorically, what in the world does he mean? If you get into the academic, theological world, there are papers on top of papers that I did not read because there's too many of them. Trying to figure out, is, it, is Paul telling us how to read the Old Testament? Because when you heard that story, I guarantee you, no one, even my, myself included, did not think of Jerusalem when I looked at Hagar. I didn't think of two covenants. I just saw a messed up family. And yet Paul says we need to read this as an alleg allegory. We should read this as an allegory. Well, technically the wording is we may read this as an allegory. So is Paul telling you that's how we should read it? That's, what, that's the big question. What is an allegory? I should probably clarify that in case you haven't thought about it. If you think of C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, an allegory is just an extended metaphor where the details in the story correspond to something in reality to where you, by nature, are forced to evaluate the details. What do these details mean? So in, in Narnia, Aslan the lion has all these details. He's the son of the king. He's the one who gives his life to die for a traitor. He rises again. It's a, it's a blatant, obvious allegory designed to get you to think about Jesus. The problem is, is there's all kinds of ideas about how to read the Old Testament. Because if you, if you start reading the Old Testament as an allegory, you're going to end up who knows where. <laughs> all kinds of wacky ideas. I give you an example in the history of the church. Uh, there are plenty of examples of the Bible being used allegorically. It's just confusing because it starts to make you wonder, does, does language mean what I think it means? Um, so, for example, the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a pretty famous story. You've got a man going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He gets mugged. 
left for dead. Uh, a Levite and a priest walk by him, ignore him. They, they go around him. And then he's rescued and saved and healed by a Samaritan, the enemy. And the story ends with Jesus saying, who, is, who, who was a neighbor? It's all about who is a good neighbor. There are some old theologians who would interpret that allegorically. And this, I'm not making this up. This is how they interpreted it. Jerusalem is heaven, and the man who got beat up, that's like Adam fault leaving the garden. And he's now dead in his sins. It's telling the story of the fall. The priest and the Levite are showing how useful the law is, the Old Testament is, to save you. And the Samaritan is Christ. He's the one who has mercy. He's the one whose wounds, who binds up your wounds, who heals you. That's allegory. And there's truth to what they're saying. But that's not how language works. I mean, in the context of the story, uh, Jesus says, who is the neighbor? That's, the whole, that's how you're supposed to read the story. And so I'll give you an example. If I say, if we have this conversation where you tell me I do not want to give you my Porsche, and I say, well, I interpret that as saying you're going to give me my Porsche or your Porsche. <laughs> or you'd say, that's ridiculous. That's not how language works. Language means what I intend it to mean when I say it, and I expect you to, to hear me that way to the best of our ability. So what in the world is Paul doing? Now, the context helps because Paul is, he's not, you remember last week we talked about Paul being in emotional anguish like a mother. He's saying, I am the brokenhearted pastor who wants more than anything else for you to believe the gospel and to stop following these false teachers. They're going to destroy you. I love you. I've given you my heart. It's breaking right now. And then he moves into this story. So what you see, he's using doctrine as counseling. He's a pastor, yeah, a brokenhearted pastor, but he's taking the story. He says, I want to use this as an illustration to help you understand what we're talking about. This may be used allegorically. Because Sarah and Hagar are being used as an illustration to show you what the difference is between grace and works, that you really are free if you're a child of Abraham by faith in Christ. And so when it comes to this story, yes, the story of Abraham is absolutely true. It's historical. It was an event that was recorded for us to help us in our faith. But Paul's also looking at it and saying, well, let's talk about this. This is an illustration of what's going on here. You may not have read that when you went through it, but it's not necessarily what was intended. But, I know this is confusing, but this is a hard passage. I'm going to try and bring you along here. When we talked about the two different sons, one conceived through human ability and one conceived by God's power, that's not fanciful reading of the text. That's exactly what happened. And Paul says, now let's talk about that. Let's apply that to you and your situation and what's going on. This is doctrinal counseling. Ishmael was born because Abraham and Sarah didn't want to wait by faith for God's blessing. They took things into their own hands. Isaac was born simply because God in his power 
gave life to, in Sarah's womb, to Sarah's womb. Pretty simple so far. Are you with me? <laughs> so now the question is, if Paul is using this story to counsel, what is he trying to counsel? What's the problem? And what he's trying to do is he's counseling the Galatian shame. And he uses a story that is full of shame and honor. And he says, this is your problem. If you understand what the gospel does for your shame, you will not go back to the law. Now, why do these Galatians need counseling? Well, one, they weren't Jews. So they were being treated as outsiders, like there was something wrong with them. But they weren't. You had the Jews who were Christians up here because they had the law, and the Galatians were second-class citizens in the church. That's how they were being treated. And because they, these Galatian Christians were pagans, they also had their own baggage, like you or I do when they come to Christ. They lived in a brutal world. One simple example is just it was common in that day for, for baby girls to just be thrown out because they were girls. The ratio of, of uh, boys to girls in that day was something like 140 boys for every 100 girls. Whereas in Christian circles, it is actually equal, 100 to 100. There's this absolutely chilling letter from a Greek businessman who writes to his wife where he says, I'll be back in a few weeks. And if the baby's born before I get back, throw it out if it's a girl. And it was common in that day for, for men to have all kinds of freedom that women didn't have. Right, we, we saw polygamy was okay for men, but not for women. Those who would be punished for adultery most often were women, not men. And so the, we don't know the individual stories, but we know this is the world they lived in. And when they heard the law for the first time, the law of God, which says you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, they would have felt a deep shame for what they've done. And then you add the conflicts of the church, it's even harder. Because they're coming in, and Paul had told them, you're a Christian now. God loves you as you are in Christ. And these Ju Judaizers were coming along and saying, no, you're not quite in all the way. You're not yet children of Abraham. You're not good enough. You have to keep the law. You have to be circumcised. And the way it played out, we looked at this in Galatians 2, is you had two different tables, the Jew table and the Gentile table, all based on their doctrine. I mean, if you had that experience where somebody would not sit next to you because of who you are, because of your ethnicity, because of your faith, that hurts. That's shame. Shame being used as a weapon. That's why Paul's counseling them. And they felt like there was something wrong with them by virtue of just, just by being born. Does that sound familiar? It's human. The shame was eroding their, their faith in Christ and was dividing the church. And you know what people who are ashamed do to fix the problem? 
as they go back to live life under the law. This is what we do. If I don't fit in because there's something wrong with me, I am messed up, then I go out to prove that I get to fit in. Let me in. Resort to some kind of law keeping to earn applause. Change whatever we can about ourselves to hide our shame, to say, I am somebody, I am significant. Because those who believe deeply, I can't do anything right, there's something wrong with me. They're the ones running all over the place, trying to find honor, all through what they do, through human ability, human desires, human works. As we feel like a nobody, we run to romance. Maybe somebody will make a big deal out of me. Us men, we overwork, you know, just trying to prove ourselves, you know, puff, puff out our chest. I have some, I'm somebody because of what I do. It's actually a deep drive written on every human heart, myself included. One of my favorite sports movies is Invincible, partly because it's about the Eagles. It's about the true story of Vince Papali back in the 80s, who, well, they put it, the, te- the team was so bad, they put out a tryout for anyone in the city who wanted to try and make the team, just to get people to pay attention. <laughs> and Papali, the 30-year-old bartender, never played college ball, actually made the team. And one of the deep motivations for him, as we see in the movie, and he, he tells this story, was from a note left to him by his ex-wife, where she says, Dear Vince, You'll never go anywhere, you'll never make a name for yourself, and you'll never make any money. You're a nobody. That's shame. That is a powerful motivator. And that's what the Galatians are looking at the Jews who are saying, you have to keep the law to fit in for God to accept you, for you to be a full full rights-bearing child of Abraham by faith in Christ. You have to be circumcised. I know it sounds crazy to us here, but if, if that is the attitude of your heart where I want to fit in, it actually starts, starts to sound plausible. And so that's why Paul's using this tale of two mothers as doctrinal counseling, because he's a- addressing this topic of shame and honor. What is the gospel? How do we set you free from your shame so you won't run back to the law to feel like you're somebody by what you do, but you run to Christ. It's a brilliant move because you got to look at Sarah and her experience. What was the experience of a, a woman in the ancient world who could not have a child? She was damaged goods. Those who had children, I mean, this If family is everything, as it was in their culture and as it is in many cultures today, if you cannot have children, you feel like you don't fit in. Like there's something wrong with you, and if in your religious circles, then maybe God's punishing you for something you've done. Cursed. And then, in Sarah's case, add in the pressure. You're supposed to be the one through whom God's promises are going to come true. God's whole plan's going to fall apart if I don't get pregnant. (laughs) <laughs> to which we would say calm down center of the universe but still that, that's the attitude for a mother and she couldn't 
And she was so ashamed, she was willing to try anything so that she turns to her husband and says, see that beautiful young lady in our household? Would you take her for our wife, for your wife, and get her pregnant? And the result was, this was what the law always does. You had Sarah who felt like dirt because she couldn't, couldn't measure up. You had Hagar who succeeded, so she was up here smug and self-righteous looking down. Abraham being pulled in several directions. He doesn't know what's going on. Then you get the kids as they grow up. Ishmael's got a complex because Isaac's the favorite child because he's the biological child. So he starts picking on his younger brother. The whole thing just falls apart, all because they went, decided to live their life by what they do to cover up their shame. And Paul calls that slavery. Everybody in the story, living by law, relying on their own ability, are slaves, and you see it. We are slaves to trying to feel like we're somebody to hide from our shame. And so Paul says this can be interpreted figuratively. Let's talk about this. There's two covenants that Paul's going to use to cancel shame. He's basically saying there are two ways to live. You can live by your own strength, your own ability, or you can live in light of the grace of our God who gives you his blessing. So you look at the text in verse 24. These two women, these women are two covenants. You got the one who's from Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Hagar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. And I know it sounds strange, but all it is saying is that if you, um, if you try and live your life by the law to cover your shame, you're just like Hagar, a slave. And the bombshell that Paul drops as he says, the Jews in Jerusalem who do not believe in Christ are like Hagar, her children, not Sarah. And that was their pride and joy. Completely reverses. This is brilliant. It says, you who are on the outside in Christ, you're actually on the inside. And you are trying to keep the law by being good to cover up your shame. You are on the outside. You are the slaves, not these Gentile Christians. We're the ones that God's poured out all his honor on. You see that? That Paul says, those in Jerusalem trying to get God's blessing through law-keeping, where traditionally that, that they're the ones who are slaves, that's how the Jews would have viewed all the pagans, those in Arabia, the Muslims, before they were Muslim. And Paul says, no, if you don't believe in Christ, you're actually outside. And those no matter what you've done, no matter your story, if you've come to Christ, you're a full, rights-bearing child of God. And that's why Paul goes on to say, look, you've got two covenants, the way of works and the way of grace, Hagar and Sarah, and you have two cities, the earthly city, which tells you you must, you must work, off, work up an honor for yourself by what you do, or the heavenly Jerusalem. The Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. This is what he writes when he quotes Isaiah 54. It's written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are in, not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. 
seems abstract, but it's really simple. There's two ways to live, so two covenants, and based on how you live depends on what your citizenship is. You either live life as a citizen in heaven, given to you by grace, or you're going to spend your whole life trying to convince yourself that you're somebody. You either have to wait for God's grace to turn your shame into honor, or you've got to work to get it. And if you live that way, it's going to mess you up. This is what Paul's showing you. It's going to destroy you emotionally because you're going to live on the roller coaster ride of your faithfulness. It's going to mess you up relationally because you're going to either be up here thinking you're better than everyone else or you're going to be down here groveling at their feet trying to get in. And C.S. Lewis is very powerfully illustrates that says if that motivation to get in makes all kinds of men do horrible things. Because I want to, I want to be somebody. It's going to mess you up physically because you never feel like you're loved and accepted in Christ. It's going to tear you apart on the inside. You're going to have an anxiety level trying to measure up. You're going to have guilt. And the psalmists tell you, you can almost feel the guilt in your bones. It's like my bones are being crushed. So Paul says, do you listen to the law? <clears throat> or are you a, a child of the heavenly Jerusalem, the heavenly city, the city where all things sad come untrue, where God dwells with his people by grace. And Paul's telling you that if you are a Christian, that is your home. And he quotes Isaiah 54 to prove it, which is phenomenal. This is great news for those who are ashamed. This was originally written to these Jewish exiles in Babylon 1,200 years after Abraham, who were deeply ashamed because they failed. They did not keep the law. God's wrath fell. Their city was nothing, and God says, I'm going to make a city that seems like nothing fill the whole earth. Those who have no children are going to have more children than those who could in a natural family. And this is what Isaiah does. He looks at the exact same story, Hagar and Sarah, and says, I'm going to encourage you who are ashamed. Let all those who cannot have children rejoice because you're going to have more children than those who are actually able. You're going to have an honor even more so than them. Same rejoice. Let joy explode out of you because God in his grace and kindness didn't choose the one who had it all together. He chose the barren one, the forgotten one, the ashamed one, and made her the centerpiece of his plan, the instrument for bringing ultimately Christ into the world. Shame turned to honor. If you apply this to the Galatian Christians and to us, they were being told they were second-class Christians because they didn't keep the law. You, you couldn't be a citizen of of the heavenly city unless you're circumcised. Because only children of Abraham are in. And Paul says, no, it's by grace that you get it. You're given this blessing. There's two ways to live. You either work for it or you receive it. And if you believe in Christ, you are children of the promise. And just by virtue of believing, you have the full rights of the sons of God. Sarah is your mother. 
the model for, for the way God works, where he turns. He goes after the broken, the barren, the ones who feel like they're nobody so that he can pour out his glory, his grace, his honor, and say, look, you are right here next to me. And that's, that's a pretty powerful counseling. Saying, you who feel like you're nobody, that you aren't good enough, that you know you've failed, listen to the law. You're going to be stuck trying to impress, all the, all the while feeling like a fraud. And if you listen to the law, your mother's going to be Hagar. But the gospel, the gospel's for the weak, the barren, the brokenhearted. So if you're a Christian this morning, do you know how miraculous your conversion is? It's as unbelievable as a 90-year-old woman having a child. Same kind of power. Which means anyone and everyone can receive that gift if they would come to Christ by faith. Because the curse of the law has been paid for as Christ became the curse for us, bearing the penalty. Freedom is your birthright. That's why it ends with for freedom. You don't earn it. It's just given to you by the virtue of the family you were born into, by faith. So hopefully you can just take a deep breath and say grace is true. <laughs> Christians ought to be the most free people in the world. We're what are you going to stare at your feet for? It's been forgotten in Christ. The guilt, the shame, all of Everything you've done has been burned up on the cross. Judgment day has already happened for you in Christ. Free from death. Death is just like taking a nap. When you pass away, you're going to wake up and see God. That's why Paul would say, death, where is your sting? Because Christ has defeated death for you. You're free. You're free from people's opinions. Because if God is thrilled with you, why do you care what other people think? He made you in the first place. It's his judgment that's going to matter in the end, and it's what matters right now. The only eyes that matter are your father's, and he's thrilled with you in Christ. We're, we ought to be the freest people alive to go out and serve our Lord and tell them about this freedom. There's a ton of ways to apply this. Um, I'll give a few since it's Mother's Day. One of the things I really like about the way Paul applies Isaiah 54 is he says it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian, whether you have kids or not. That's what the scriptures tell you. Saying so you can be a mother and have more children as a single, single person. doesn't even matter whether you're male or female. You can have more children in Christ than you ever could naturally. I, mean, I know there's big families, 18, 19, 20 kids. Paul's saying if this Isaiah is telling you more will be the children of the desolate one than those who had children naturally. And so one of the beautiful stories I heard illustrating this was of a, a German lady whose name I'm forgetting. Um, came to New York City. She was a missionary, and she brought an African-American lady to faith. And this was back in the 1900s. And she had, was asked then to go start a ministry in New York City for the African-Americans because they were asking for someone to preach grace to them. 
and she was engaged. And she was give her fiance at that time said, you have a choice. If you go to minister to people like that, I'm breaking this off. So she had to wrestle with all her hopes and dreams of being a mother, of being a wife. And then she read Isaiah 54, and that set her free. And there's a whole, there's a church in, I believe it's Harlem now, because of her ministry, because of her sacrifice, where there are all kinds of people who are rejoicing in heaven and looking to her and say, you are my mother. I wouldn't know Christ without you. Paul was a single man. He has all kinds of children. Any one of us has been converted through reading his letters. It's phenomenal. The gospel, as it turns your shame into honor, says you are free to have kids or not to have kids, to get married or not to get married. And really, single people have a freedom that married people do not when it comes to the mission field. One plane ticket's cheaper than five. <laughs> the countries you go to, right? you can take a lot more risks when you're not concerned with the welfare and well-being of your small children. You can apply this, this gospel to parenting the way Paul uses it. I mean, think about Isaac's story. How did Abraham and Sarah parent Isaac? All they'd had to do was ask her, who's your mother? Who's your father? You're a child of the free woman, Isaac. And when he was circumcised on the eighth day, it was a reminder that God chose Isaac to be his own through promise. While Isaac had nothing to do with it, he was completely helpless in hope that he would one day look back and see that God thought of me even before I was born. And frankly, that's why we baptize our kids. Not because we think it saves them, because it's a beautiful privilege of being born into a Christian family to say God started pursuing me from the womb in hopes that one day they would grow up and look back and say, God, you started this process while I was helpless and hopeless, a baby, which is something we as adults say as well. And so kids, if you ever get older and someone says your baptism as a child uh, wasn't good enough, that's baloney. <laughs> It's a beautiful picture of the gospel that God's been pursuing you, even now. Lastly, you know what Isaac's name means? It's laughter. Sarah laughed when she was told that I'm going to be a mother. My Lord is old and I'm worn out. But we're children of the promise, saved by grace, despite who we are. <laughs> and that ought, ought to make us rejoice, laugh at ourselves, laugh at the silly things we do, laugh at what sin has made us do, because it really has been forgiven. Take our Christ seriously and ourselves not so much. Because you are a child of the promise. Jerusalem is your mother. That, the Jerusalem above. All because Christ bound himself to you, lived his life as a servant, even to death on a cross, so that you might be loved as he is loved, a beloved child. Let's pray.
Thank God tonight and this morning might have been uh, drink, like drinking from a fire hose in terms of information. But at the same time, it's, it's really simple. Your grace sets us free. And I pray for all of us here who are daily tempted to cover our shame with the law, that you would show us that we can always run to Christ. And that as children, as children of Abraham by faith, all is forgiven. We've been set free. So I ask that you would send your spirit into our hearts to begin that work and to continue that work of liberation, uh, to, to look at our lives and say, I do not have to impress anyone. Show us the ways where we're, we're living according to the flesh and empower us then to live according to grace, waiting for you to act on our behalf because we've already done so in Christ. And if there are those who do not know the honor that faith in Christ brings, I pray that you would humble them and show them the beauty of a Savior who says, now if you believe in me, you are accepted as if you'd always done the right thing and you get God as, as your Father. So send us out free, as free people witnessing to the crucified Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to end with hymn number 55, To God Be the Glory. Please stand as you're able.